take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have, if you don't have a Bible, it's okay, there's one in the pew in front of you. One in the pew in front of you. And uh, that's going to be a page 1473, Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there. Or if you have your Bible on your phone, you could click there. Okay. And believe it or not, this is our, this is our last week in the Beatitudes. And I pray that this has been uh, helpful and equipping Time as we've walked through these first, after today will be the 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5. I know it's been immensely challenging to me as I've worked over this and studied this and prepped this in, uh, the Beatitudes have taken on a new meaning to me through this series and I pray they have for you as well. But today we end this series really in a unique fashion. Many times we come to the end of something and it's the climax, it's the excitement, it's, uh, wow, look at all of this. And Jesus' final instruction in this first section of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount might catch you by surprise. But to bring this into context, into reality for today, and then we're going to read this section of Scripture and spend time and prayer together, I just want to share with you some statistics that many of us may not recognize here today. Every month, 255 Christians are killed for their faith. Every month, 104 followers of Jesus are abducted. Every month, 180 women who profess faith in Christ are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. Every month, 66 churches that proclaim the name of Jesus are attacked. Every month, 160 followers of Christ are detained without trial and imprisoned. During the World Watch List in 2018, this is a reporting period that develops statistics on the specifically persecution of the Christian church, being followers of Jesus. In that period, 3,066 followers of Jesus were killed. 1,252 abducted, 1,020 were raped or harassed, and 793 churches were attacked. Now, for those of us sitting here today, many of those statistics are not personal because we're here freely. We sit here without the threat of government officials storming down the door and arresting every single one of you and imprisoning you simply because you claim to follow Jesus. Now, In many, many, many other countries, that is not the case. In fact, the top ten countries where it is most dangerous to follow Jesus, number one on that list is North Korea, has been number one for the last 17 years. 
Number two, Afghanistan. Number three, Somalia. Number four, Sudan. Number five, Pakistan. Number six, Eritrea. Number seven, Libya. Number eight, Iraq. Number nine, Yemen. And number ten, Iran. Now, something startling about that is in many of these places, the church of Christ is exploding in growth. People are coming to faith in Christ at a rapid rate. Amidst persecution, amidst every one of those people recognizing that tomorrow they could be arrested, imprisoned, or killed because they follow the name of Christ. And many of us hear statistics like that and we we're somber at this. Whoa. Or maybe we're grateful. It makes us grateful for a freedom we do have here that many times we take for granted and become complacent in. But today as we look at Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to read verses 10 through 12, Jesus has a different command for those facing persecution. And so this morning... I'm going to read this text, and then I just want us to take a little bit longer than usual and pray specifically this morning for the persecuted church, okay? Because today, this is happening. And you won't read about these things often. You won't know this unless you go looking for it, but it is happening. Brothers and sisters in Christ today are being persecuted for the very same faith that we sit here and claim. And so I want to read this text. We're going to pray and then we're going to look at this passage and ask the question, how can I possibly remain deeply joyful in the midst of persecution? How can I do that? So read with me, starting in verse 10. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I just want to take a little longer than usual, as I said. And if you just want to sit in silence and, and meditate on some of these statistics, if you want to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ... Do that, and then I'm going to close us in prayer, and we're going to jump into this text. So let's just take a couple of moments and pray together as a church family for the persecuted church, okay? Father, forgive us for how complacent we become amidst the freedoms that we are spoiled with. And Father, this morning, we remember and we acknowledge the persecution and suffering day to day that our brothers and sisters all over the world are experiencing right now. Lord, may this humble us to a place where we seek to shine the light of Jesus in a way 
that reflects the boldness of our brothers and sisters in other countries. Lord, that we would not take for granted the freedoms that we have been given as we have in so many ways, but that it would propel us, that it would motivate us to authentically live out what we believe, to be ambassadors for the kingdom of Christ. And Lord, this morning, help us to deepen our understanding that when persecution comes for righteousness' sake, when we are reviled in your, because of you and who you are, that we can remain deeply joyful. Reveal that to us, God. We commit this all to you, prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. So how can we? How can we, in the face of persecution, in the face of wickedness, in the face of all these things against who Jesus is, against the gospel, against all of this, how can I remain deeply joyful? And as we've read it throughout this text in Matthew chapter 5, the term blessed, blessed is the, we can fill in the blank with all of those, we talked about in our first session on this Matthew chapter 5 that that term can be recognized as deeply joyful, a joy that comes not simply as a surface level happiness, not simply as just a temporary emotion, but a deep joy that's rooted in who Jesus is and the truth of what we believe Scripture has to say about Him. So how can I be deeply joyful in the face of persecution? And that might be a much better question to ask a brother or sister who's living in these times. And if you've ever had the chance to talk to a missionary who's living in those settings or someone who's come out of those settings who endured for the sake of Christ, they would be able to articulate for you where they were focused. And to come back to a place similar to what we see in the first century church, that these people were willing to die for the name of Jesus. And there's a boldness that comes out in that. How can I remain deeply joyful in the midst of persecution? And I want to give, a, give you several specific concepts that come straight from this text that we can remember and respond to when faced with persecution. Now, I want to preface this by saying I don't anticipate that many of you are going to leave this place today and immediately encounter persecution for your faith. And my prayer is that you would not somehow create the type of persecution that is mentioned here and then talk it up as if you have endured something that you have not. Because that is often the case. Especially when we live in a country where we have freedom to be here. We should not and will not make this what it's not. And the first point in this, the first answer to this question that emphasizes that is that in order for me to remain deeply joyful in the midst of persecution, I first have to recognize that not everyone who endures persecution is blessed. Not everyone who endures persecution is blessed. Now, wait a minute. I thought you just read that blessed are those who are persecuted. No, that's not what the text says. Let's look at verse 10. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now that might seem very minor, but that is a major emphasis that is crucial to our understanding of what he's even talking about. What Jesus is even saying here. And if you go on to verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. It doesn't end there. On my account. There's something specific about this type of persecution. It's not just general feed tension or negative feedback. We're talking about persecution because of who Jesus is in you. Persecution that would come as a result of you living a life of righteousness. So what does righteousness defined look like? What does that look like that we might live in that in a way that other people see that? Well, I'd invite you to go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, and follow along with me. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain... And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You ask the question, what does righteousness look like? Jesus has already developed that for us in the first nine verses of this text. That for me to pursue a life that is lived in righteousness, I start at point one. I start at the beginning of this section of scripture and I say, do I recognize that I am spiritually bankrupt in desperate need of something so much more than myself? And then have I recognized my sinfulness that separated me from God, that's made it to where I cannot of my own power, of my own will, of my own accord, get to a point that I am righteous before God? And I mourn that, I mourn my sin, but I trust in the promises of God that He is going to comfort me, and He already has shown that through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then out of that, whoa, I, I'm gonna live in a way that's humble. Because of those first two points, I'm gonna be a meek person because I know I don't have it all figured out. And as I continue to live, man, I'm just craving more. I'm craving God. I'm craving truth. I desire to be satisfied. And the more I delve into this, the more meat I begin to digest, all of a sudden, man, God has been merciful to me. I should, I should extend that mercy. I'm, man, you know what? My, my mindset is shifting because I just desire to be pure in heart, and motive, and in desire. And man, there's this conflict, and I just, I seek to want to make biblical peace in the midst of all of this. You see, when righteousness is 
spoken of. When we think about what, what does righteousness look like, Jesus has already made that clear. He's already outlined it to the point that we can't argue and say, well, yeah, I'm living a righteous life. Well, do you mourn your sin? Well, no. I think I'm a pretty good person. Not, not according to Jesus. Are you extending mercy in the same way God has been merciful to you? No, but you don't understand. No, we don't understand. To live in light of these things is what it means to be growing in righteousness. Now, church, I want to preface this and say, this is a lifetime of development in this. This is not something we're going to leave this place and go, man, I've got it mastered. And if you question that, I encourage you to talk to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ here who has been seeking to follow Jesus for their whole life. Ask them about where they're growing. Ask them about where their struggles are. And I guarantee you, they're not going to look at you and go, well, I grew out of that a long time ago. That's not going to be their response. This is a lifetime commitment to say, I'm going to develop into who Jesus wants me to be. But when I get to this passage of Scripture in verses 9 through 12 and go, how can I be deeply joyful in the midst of persecution? I first have to recognize that persecution that is talked about in Scripture is a persecution that is rooted in who I am in Jesus. This is not persecution because you have been a jerk. It's not persecution because your opinion, you're so loud and bold with that other people start reviling you or giving you a hard time or speaking evil against you. If you're just being a mean person, then you should probably heed some of the correction that is coming your way. That's not persecution for righteousness sake. This is not persecution because of your political affiliation. Has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with who you are in Christ. This is not persecution because of your profession, your race, or your social status. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I preface that by saying these other things may happen and probably will happen because we live in a broken world that is in desperate need of Christ. That's a given. But don't Let us not come back to a place where we say, oh, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. I'm being persecuted because of my faith. When in reality, you're being persecuted because of your sinfulness. There's a big difference between those two. In this text, the reason for persecution is righteousness. It's the light of Jesus shining through you. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, if you've got one of the pew Bibles, it's 1,786 is the page number. Philippians chapter 3. And many of you will recognize um, this text of Philippians 3 is a passage where Paul emphasizes that he's counted everything as loss. Everything is loss for the sake of Christ. And he celebrates that and rejoices in that. But in Philippians 3, starting in verse 8, he 
He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, recognize that, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Recognize multiple things in this passage. For his sake, I have suffered all things. Not for my sake. Paul's not saying not for me, not for my cause, not for my purposes, but for the sake of Jesus. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And may be found in him, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own. This is not a self-righteousness. That goes back to what this persecution is not referring to that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Can I just encourage you, if you're here today and that doesn't make sense to you, understand that the type of righteousness, right standing that we're talking about here can only be found in Jesus. It can only be found when we believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That he came that you might have life. And he rose from the dead after being tortured and crucified for our sin so that he could show that there is power over death. But that's only found in Jesus. And if you're sitting here today going, I just don't know, I just don't know who Jesus said he was. Read the book of John, and you'll get a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And then ask yourself the question, where do I find my sense of worth? Where do I discover truth? Where do I yearn for that? Where do I look for that? And how do I know who I'm supposed to be? Jesus models all of that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17... Paul professes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So when we stop and we Ask that question, what does righteousness look like? Jesus has already defined that for us. And when we're thinking about how can I remain deeply joyful in the midst of persecution, it's recognizing that the persecution that is blessed, that comes back with deep joy, is a persecution that's found because we are so focused on Jesus that there's tension in a dark world. Recognize that not everyone who endures persecution is blessed. Secondly, recognize that when my light shines, people will react and respond. 
Now, to illustrate this, the lights are going to go off. It's going to get dark in here. Okay? Go ahead. Okay? Now, if I'm standing here in the darkness, and I turn my light on, okay? You can see the light, right? But it's pretty dim. Now, if I were to step it up a notch... This is a lot different. And I'm not going to shine this in your face because it would temporarily blind you. Okay? But you get the, you get the perspective here. I can see you guys now. Just by the light of this spotlight. Okay? Go ahead and turn the lights back on. When a light like this is shown in your face, you're going to react. Chances are, if I were to shine that spotlight in one of your eyes, you're going to go, No! Don't do that! I can't see! But in a pitch black room, in darkness, if a light like that comes on and is shining out, you might be drawn to that light. Oh, that's where I want to be. I can see. I can see clearly. In the midst of darkness, man, this makes sense. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be drawn to the light. Or you're gonna look at the light and you're gonna go, ah! I prefer the darkness! I illustrate that to emphasize that the reality is when we live a righteous life as Christ has defined it, we expose the darkness around us. And when we live like Jesus, People will respond in one of two ways. They will either respond with persecution or transformation. And oftentimes, that response of persecution may not be visible where we are at today. But in many other parts of our world, it becomes visible. When that light becomes apparent, people respond. People respond. If people respond by being transformed, if you are living a righteous life and modeling Jesus, and people respond by being transformed by the light of Christ, praise God. And if people respond by reviling persecuting and speaking evil against you because of your righteousness, praise God. Because it means you're shining the light of Christ. When we understand what righteousness looks like. Now, flip again with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, again, righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, 
Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. If you look past that in chapter 4, starting in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Wow! Now, if there's a couple passages that could make us rethink our attitude towards persecution for righteousness' sake, Peter's got it nailed. But we have to recognize that when that light shines, people are going to react. People are going to respond. And it's not always going to be the response that we want or are praying for. Another pastor made a list of these things, and I want to share it with you because I thought it was really insightful. He said, if you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with our God, with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the info of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. When the light of Christ shines, people are going to react and respond. That should not surprise us. And we can remain deeply joyful in the midst of that. Thirdly, we have to recognize that those persecuted for the sake of Christ are in good company. And if we look back at Matthew chapter 5, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Some of you might be going, well, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? Jeremiah spoke of being ridiculed all day. Everyone mocks me, he said in Jeremiah 20. Elijah was threatened by Queen Jezebel after he confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and ran for his life in 1 Kings. Amos was insulted by the chief priest at the sanctuary in Bethel and told never to prophesy there again in Amos chapter 7. Micaiah had the courage to contradict the prophetic announcement of 400 false prophets. His voice stood alone. And when he did that, he was slapped in the face by Zedekiah and put in prison. Prison, 1 Kings 22. Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, he was stoned to death for rebuking the people who turned to idols and the Asherah poles. That's in 2 Chronicles 24. Hananiah reproved King Asa for relying on a different king instead of relying on the Lord. 
And he was put in prison, Second Chronicles 16. Uriah was said to be a man that prophesied in the same way as Jeremiah did. And he was sought, searched for, and put to death. Struck down with a sword. And his body was thrown into the common burial place. Persecution because of the name of Christ is not a new thing. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In Hebrews 10, it says, But recall former days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partner with those so treated. Listen to this. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because great is your reward in heaven. The reward is not here. When we shine the light of Christ, people react and respond. Persecution may come, but we can be deeply joyful because of the promises of Christ for the future. So church, where are your eyes fixed? Who or what are you glorifying most? Have you recognized that you are spiritually bankrupt? Have you evaluated your sin and mourned who you are apart from Christ? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you seeking to show mercy, grow in purity, and make biblical peace? As we strive to do these very things, take heart. Take heart. Commit to praying for our brothers and sisters all over the world who live this daily. And yet choose to live for and speak boldly for the sake of Jesus. I want to close us today by reading two passages of Scripture as we remind ourselves what this looks like practically for us. In Matthew chapter 6, Verses 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break it and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break it and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In 2 Corinthians 4, says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, let's stand together. And we're going to sing this last song in recognition that no matter what comes, 
matter what happens, as we shine the light of Christ and people respond, that we're going to live boldly for Christ and pursue a life that's committed to what He desires for us. Let's sing together.